You are listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, the JRPG Games Club podcast that hates thunder. It's coarse and it gets everywhere. <laughs> Fuck. Fuck you. Fuck <laughs> this is season six, episode five, covering a giant mess of cutscenes in Xenosaga episode one for the PS2. I am your host, Chris Taylor, and my pronouns are he, him, and with me today is... Fletcher, whose pronouns are he, haw. Ryan Beatty, my pronouns are they, them. What happened last time, Fletcher? Last time our party entered the Cathedral Ship, a planet-sized Gnosis trial by fire, which consumed the life of Andrew Cherenkov, Utic spy, and put Xion on notice that she was probably going to die similarly horribly soon. However, nobody had any time for that, as all of our party finally met up when the Durandal, the flagship of the Kukai Foundation, saved the Elsa and our heroes from the Gnosis fleet. Also, Cosmos opened up a hole to hell in her torso. <laughs> we pick back up on a planet that is all Aurora Borealis, and Junior is running. The streets are bare, there are small fires everywhere, and eventually he screams, Gainan! at the sky. That was impressive. Thank you. Uh, he then finds a dead cat named Gainan. Then we cut back again, and he's holding a dying dark-haired boy named Gainan. And then he starts falling towards a sea of red, and his last words before waking up are, Albedo. Also, we reveal he has a 666 tattoo at this point. I love that his brother has 669. It is so funny to me. <laughs> nice. So they all have numbers. They, they all sure have numbers. Uh, this is also great. This anime characterization, rule number 61. If your character is a little corny, give them a lot of trauma in their backstory. So the Durandal has all of the Zohar emulators in the basement, and they're all named for a disciple, including Boanerges. Uh, there's a spot for the real one labeled Marian Kind, which I definitely laughed out loud at. The <laughs> Child of Mary. And a second room is behind it, and it contains, quote, things you don't want to see. So uh, Shayan says, Are you, can I see it? And he goes, yeah, sure. And just fucking flings it open. And here's my Resident Evil room full of monsters and test tubes, including like a half disintegrated person slash gnosis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty wild because a Resident Evil room is a very good descriptor of this. Totally. A tyrant would pop out of this thing in that mm -hmm. game. Yeah, it's the room from the Resident Evil 3 remake where there's all the tyrants and tubes. <laughs> Yes. Well, it also reminded me a lot of Alien Resurrection. Ugh. Garbage movie, but also deeply underrated, but also garbage. Fuck you. I it is a garbage it. movie. OK, underrated, but garbage I could accept. Yes, yes. Uh, also it reminded me of Genova uh, because every JRPG reminds me of Final Fantasy VII, post Final Fantasy VII until we hit like 12, basically. I can't believe you play a bunch of Genova witnesses during Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> All right, that's pretty good. <laughs> the discussion makes Xion incredibly paranoid because according to Junior, who she now takes as a research expert on this, nobody has touched one of these and not transformed. Also, we learned that according to records, the Gnosis existed for centuries in limited outbursts, but only after the Milshan conflict did they really spread to become a plague on the galaxy. Therefore, this whole series is Joachim Mizrahi's fault. Bobo hates hearing this. She wanders off and gets lost on the ship while we're in the cutscene. 
So on two separate occasions in this episode, Junior totally hurts the feelings of or traumatizes a member of our party and then doesn't realize until later that he's fucked up. And so he just sounds like an asshole immediately ruining Momo's feelings by shit talking Joaquin Mizrahi only to be like, oh, right, that's her dad. And then he's like, all right, she's a sensitive girl and I'm going to protect her emotions for the rest of this episode. And Ziggy immediately stops caring about her yeah he's like i guess she was upset maybe she wandered off somewhere where people could be alone <laughs> i delivered her my job is over yeah um we get to wander around the ship now and we also have access to return to the cathedral ship via encephalon and this is where you unlock the casino mini games as well uh did anybody engage with these besides me oh yeah of course no not me okay so let me tell you a hot little secret. The way that the poker works is that you get a random hand and then the next five cards you could redraw are in a determined order. So if you hold two, you'll draw the first three. And then uh, the high low is very easy because what they do is before the high low game starts, they deal two cards for each slot, one high, one low. So you could just save state through and um, assuming you don't get fucked out of both sides on high and a low, get 16 times your points every time with zero effort. Oh, my God. And uh, then what you do is you become me and you say 100 points for a med kit, an ether pack, a cure all and some other item I forget. Those sell for a good amount and you can get. 9,900 points in about a minute cheating high and low because even mm. a one pair is 100 points times 16 is 1,600. So uh, <laughs> what you do is you do this a bunch of times and you sell them all and you make a fuck ton of money and then when you get to the foundation, you fully upgrade all your eggs, your entire party, and buy three of every eggs accessory and then still have pocket change left over and it only takes an hour. <laughs> See... But I'm trying to struggle a little bit. That's the thing. Like, I, I kind of want to get by by the skin of my teeth. Fuck that. I want to guard with my eggs and get 10% health back and purge all status effects. Yeah, that's a great accessory. <laughs> it, that is. Yeah, no, those, those are fantastic accessories. I will grant you that. Like that. That's actually kind of game breaking because it's one of the only reliable eggs healing methods. Yeah. And it actually gives a purpose to guarding. And you give them all BMAC circuits so that you can boost into more free heal turns. Hell yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. So that's how the rest of the game is going to go for me, for the record. Cool. Congrats. Anyhow, we have free reign to explore the entirety of the Durandal, and it is a large ship. There is a tram to take you around this ship. It's that large. Is there anything we want to cover about the layout of this place before we push on with the plot? No, because nothing's here. It sucks. Yeah. Though you do get to blow up people's shower doors, which is very funny to me. <laughs> it stuck out because this game is usually so good at putting little side quests and also good world flavor in the NPCs everywhere. And the Durandal is huge, but it's also empty and bland. Yeah, there's like no one interesting to talk to mm, yet. Although I guess some of that is when we dock. Mm -hmm. So eventually you can find your moping Moppet in the park area. And we get a lot of. All right. I actually really enjoy 
the Cosmos Shion Momo dynamic in this cutscene <laughs> because it's yeah. completely insane how much it whiplashes between the three women. It's very funny. But Shion starts talking to Momo about how, you know, your father can't have been super space Hitler because he did a lot of good things for society. And I don't think that a guy who was all war crimes could make the trains more efficient. <laughs> also, Joachim Mizrahi taught Pinocchio Momo that if she did good deeds, she could become a real girl. So in this, I do have to admit my Procyon bias. I know that she is ignorant of a lot of bad shit and says lib shit because of it all the time. But like, she's also still one of the few humans who vocally believes that Reallians were always destined to be a part of the world and she doesn't want to treat them like tools or monsters. Uh, that keeps coming up. It's so weird that that's even a thing because they're not even robots. Yeah, I know. They're they're android people who are made of synthetic flesh. Yep. So, yeah. Also, <laughs> poor Momo destined to have trauma forever because her dad went mad and destroyed the world as we know it. And her mom is a walking and talking abandonment machine who never wants to see her again. Um also, final little bit uh, uh, that I loved in this conversation is the beautiful gaslighting of Xion by Cosmos, because Cosmos jumps in and actually does comfort Momo a little by talking about some of the things that Mizrahi accomplished. And then uh, when Xion is like, oh, you're developing empathy, she's like, it's not empathy, it's just logic. Hilariously enough, Xion will later check Cosmos's logs and go, Oh, yeah, she was flatlined. It wasn't empathy. I know. That's so funny to me. <laughs> she wants to be right that much. Mm -hmm. And then if you talk to Momo later, she goes, I like Cosmo. She's funny. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I will also say that throughout all of this first game, I felt very bad for Momo. And after the second game, I felt she earned it karmically. <laughs> anyway, after the cutscene, we pull up at the Kukai Foundation. So the Durandal docks with the Kukai Foundation, which is basically just the Citadel from Mass Effect a decade early, by shoving itself up the rear of the thing and becoming a massive butt plug skyscraper in the middle of the artificial beach. Yeah, well, uh, sorry, I deleted mine because I, I, I was just, man, why does it have to be a butt plug? Why'd you have to go there? That's so fucking gross. It's a big triangle with a flared base. Okay, but all mm, okay, but also like mecha anime has a serious tradition of planet-sized spaceships that have docking spaceships in the middle of them. I'm just saying, I didn't go butt plug. Okay, but the top of the foundation does have that a uh, series of priest lines leading to a point, much like a butthole. Wow. Okay. All right. I retract it. I I wanted <laughs> not to mention. <laughs> That you can only get the Durandal into the Kukai Foundation through the wettest part. Ah, oh, fuck off. Okay, I, I really, I, 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 I wanted to, to, to call this show out for Edgelord horny crimes, and I can't because you, you bring up good points. Facts don't care about your prostate's feelings. <laughs> well. <sighs> okay, we are introduced to Guinan Kukai here. Who Shion picks up on looks a lot like Junior, who 
as we know, is named Guinan Kugai Jr. Very conspicuous that this taller, older Guinan also has dark hair like the boy named Guinan that Jr. was carrying in his trauma flashback. As he leaves, his eyes flash when looking at Xion and Alan, but says, it can't be. Guinan then gives Jr. a classic gun that he won at an auction and casually drops in private to remember that Jr. is the elder of the two of them. And we are almost free to explore the Kukai Foundation, but first we now have the swimsuit episode. For the first time of every single time in the series, Xion will keep working during a beach sequence. However, she does get up when Junior demonstrates the weather control and kicks off a thunderstorm. Though really, she says multiple times, I hate thunder, and he just lets it roll like an asshole. <laughs> yeah. She has a violent reaction to thunder, and then we cut to uh, Guinan talking to Helmer, a major councilman and ally of the Foundation, and one of the least shameful representations of black people in JRPGs. Yeah, I think he's the only black person we see until maybe episode three. Yeah, but he's not an extremely racist trope, which is a rarity, sadly. No, he's he's not Mr. Popo. He's basically just Space Obama. Yeah, yeah, he's just a politician. So two little bits of context that we learned from this cutscene. First, we learned that Mizrahi was the only person who could create Zohar emulators, and also that the Kukai Foundation is dedicated to preventing Udu from reawakening no matter what. We will hear more mentions of Udu later this episode. So now we are actually free to wander about both the Durandal and the Kukai Foundation. Hell yeah. This is very world map in an SMT game, except instead of being a little dot with a head, you are Xion, giant-sized, stomping all over the grounds of this space colony. Yeah, it like splits the difference between a Shin Megami Tensei map and like the Chrono Cross map uh, in, a, in a really good way. So we should say here that the actual objective during all the wandering is to get Xion to sleep at an inn because she's so fucked up at Cosmos's unexplainable development that she's starting to dissociate. That inn is run by a bickering father-daughter team who have been at each other's throats since the respective mom-slash-wife died. They have a better relationship than the mother and son of the laundromat, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... If you actually want to do side content, this place is flush with little quests and finding the fish detector and catching people's laundry tickets. There's a lot you can do here, but we're kind of skipping over a lot of side quests because they generally don't have the most amazing rewards in this game. But we should talk about NPCs that are cool, like King, who when you bl yeah. blow up all of his boxes at his base and then he tries to impress you by punching a punching bag so hard it explodes with the same uh, detonation sound effect. And then oh, he yeah. runs off after a cat, like transforming in the way that people baby talk to their animals. It's very funny to me. Yeah, no, King is great. This is also the segment where we can first meet the professor and find the robot academy. My dude's goal is to make invincible giant robots. And he specifically poo-poos eggs like, that baby shit? No, I mean invincible giant robots. Where is that guy at? He's underneath the uh, egg shop. Oh! Yeah, so it's not in Sector 26 and 27. It's in the egg shop. There's a, over to the left, there's a guy who's like, there's a lot of laughing coming from downstairs and it's creepy. And you go down and, and it's the 
uh, Robot Academy guy. Fun fact. This is another one of those NPCs where whoever you have selected will determine dialogue. Go down there with Junior as your main character, because as the person who partially owns this station, he has some of the best reactions. What the hell is all this? When did we make this place? (laughs) That's great. Yeah. There's a guy in the robot shop who's like, you know, the vector robots are so cool, but the the army ones look safe. The army ones are the representation of safety. Which one should I pick? A, as though some guy working at like the laundromat can afford an eggs. But then you go down just a little bit and the screen shows you here's Junior's eggs. You walk over and the other one looks like the shittiest Zaku ever. So as of the next game, they're going to retcon it so that eggs do become the fucking Zaku fodder of the universe by giving you a new tier of mecha for party members. Hell yeah. They do eggs dirty. Uh, usually little details that fuck with continuity don't bother me, but because eggs are so vital to the play of this first game, the way that they are completely erased from games two and three, uh, it just it feels weird to me. Can you even summon them or do they just plot stuff? I do not remember summoning eggs. I think they're just plot stuff after this. Yeah, they're exactly. They're literally just plot stuff after this. And I think that's weird. It's probably for the best. Yeah, it's cleaner on a design level, but it does suck. In terms of like balancing bosses and encounters, that's probably Mm -hmm. way better. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have collected some of the robot parts, you can earn a summon here for Xion. Yeah, like we've talked about, it's just I also love that he's trying to get giant robot parts from the lost civilization, which again is very like giant robo or Edeon or, you know, where this robot that he's trying to build is from some ancient time. He's explicitly a Mazinger parody with elements of the very recent at this time, giant robo series. Got it. Yeah. It is great to see such a blatant uh, homage to the history of giant robots in a giant robot game. We don't normally have that much unless you're talking about like super robot Tyson. So I just want to highlight a couple of other of the little of, of the side content things. Um, first, it just the pink robot inside the gang leaders warehouse that knows the merchant in the dock colony uh, is great. He's like, Hey, Hey, give my regards to the talk to me shop guy. And it's, it's just this sentient pink robot that has, talk to me plastered on him um also the bartender is fixated on hypermasculine dude culture and everyone thinks it's fucking tacky hell yeah that rules though yeah and then there's like this very shy but also very labor law hating baker who has basically just like indentured bakery servants and in one of their break rooms or one of their rooms there's pinup art of a bikini girl riding a baguette like a dolphin and i love that shit then there's also like this guy named johnny who's like slav squat staring at her all day every day (laughs) yeah creep We also can learn a couple of background details that I found really interesting about the world. You can find out that the Life Recycling Act eventually started creating people with abnormal powers. In other words, they're creating new types who became the targets of persecution and discrimination from the normies who did not understand or trust these special powers. Okay, you are underselling this because they are known as uberhumans. Mary and Shelley are two of them. Like, we've already encountered quite a few. It's going to be a thing. 
yeah, it's going to be a huge thing. But this was the first that I actually heard about it was like talking to the people at the docks and stuff. Um, and it seeds a lot of what comes later. Also, we find out that the Kukai Foundation is trying to create a sanctuary specifically for these folks with these superpowers, uh, giving everybody a purpose and a place to enjoy life. So if you have a charitable read, Gainan Kukai is Professor X. Mm -hmm. If you have a less charitable read, Gainan Kukai is the circus ringleader from Freaks. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, again, the Life Recycling Act keeps coming back as this thing that just created so many sea changes in society that have completely upset the balance of what this world functioning looked like. Well, that's honestly what the game is about. Yeah. Yep. They, they don't come out and say it that often, but yeah, you're totally right. Like, there is, this, like, this super robot and this uh, the Udu, but the game is about, like, the Life Recycling Act. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're ready to continue, you can uh, talk to Alan on the Elsa and then the cutscenes start and don't stop. where you see Margulis talking to a deus ex reject. Am I wrong? <laughs> oh. <laughs> They're going to input plan 401, which involves grabbing Momo. Everyone thinks that's a little out of control. Mm -hmm. um, he then dials Albedo, telling him to stay inside. But if needed, they'll use the Song of Nephilim. Albedo mocks Margulis for this and tacitly calls Margulis a vile pervert. And apparently it, the Song of Nephilim is also a literal song, too. Yeah, uh, because Margulis asks Pellegree if she has heard it uh, and then is basically like, that song fucks you up. It's yeah. Imagine having a magic song and like, I don't know, put it on your Zune, I guess. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, cursed audio. It's, it's just the brown note. <laughs> We learn through this conversation between Margulis and the Deus Ex Reject also that Utic is planning on manipulating the Federation into some bullshit while they use Momo to get to the Zohar in Nilshin space. And Junior gives Momo a bullet to make her feel better. This is literal. I'm not joking. Mm -hmm. He gives her a bullet on a chain. Also, fuck him. He has to use space magic to attach a chain like motherfucker. Do you not have Etsy? <laughs> well, he owns the Kukai Foundation, so if anyone is going to own Etsy, it's them. It's them. We put all the weird, artsy, crafty reject people on one space colony, and would you look at that? It turns out that we have a laundromat, a bank, a robot factory, and 70,000 weavers. Take that, <laughs> humanities graduates. <laughs> all the artsy rejects. <laughs> I'm just saying that if anyone in this super utilitarian future was going to be the people who would run Etsy shops, it's the Kukai Foundation. 
You're not wrong. So, as the Durandal approaches Second Milsha, a fleet of Federation vessels block it and begin firing on the ship. For context, we cut down to Federation HQ, where a deep fake is being shown of the Durandal destroying the Waglinde, not a fleet of Gnosis. The Council argues about this, and Julie Mizrahi is smeared here as well as the second Milshin government, which is uh, nominally independent, is drawn into the shit show. Fun note, this Council scene is changed up quite a bit in the DS remake because all the generic Council mooks here are replaced with new figures or people from later in the series. Hmm. Pierre Rurik, a new character, is one of the Kukai Foundation's defenders, and one of the other talking heads is now our first appearance of Patriarch Sergius the Seventeenth, the Space Pope. <laughs> Damn, we could have gotten a Space Pope in this game. I mean, we will. Turns out Utik faked this video and um, made it seem very real by using the coordinates with the Durandal battle with the Utik outside the wreckage of the Woglinde to make it look like they had destroyed the Woglinde. So technically, yes, the Durandal did unload a shitload of firepower where the Woglinde was destroyed. Right. So while the feds are being manipulated by Utik into thinking that the Kukai were the aggressors, it should also be noted that the Federation seems like they're already looking for an excuse to strip Second Milsha of all of its powers and neutrality independently of being manipulated. Uh, many of the universe's powers resent Second Milsha's political status. Damn, these people that we really fucked up with our were on their planet and then caused their entire planet to be destroyed. I can't believe they're so uppity. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in the party is arrested and placed into one room so as not to underman the guard posts. Even an entire Federation squad is stretched thin trying to control a ship the size of the Durandal. So our party are all in one room at this point, and they're talking amongst themselves to try and figure things out. A couple of them decide to traumatize Momo a little further by speculating that maybe Yuli Mizrahi is in on the conspiracy. We cut to Senator Helmer calling Guinan, who is, you know, a handy force outside of this. He is in their corner and has sent his most trusted lieutenant to control the ship and keep evidence from being planted. Guinan gives her a master key to find anything she can. All right. So this plant's name is Lapis Roman, which fucking rules. I love that name. Yeah, kicks ass, dude. She's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I like her. She just kind of doesn't do much. Um, afterwards, Vector's CEO, Wilhelm, the little white-haired wiener kid we saw earlier, calls Helmer back. And he is also in their corner to the point that he is dispatching a major Vector battleship to the region as a threat of force to keep things on the level. And both men talk about how this stinks of Utik. Clearly, they are after the key to Milsha, Red Momo, and also Udu. Yeah, they want to keep the Udu that you don't from becoming the Udu that you do. Fuck off. I knew it was coming and I still chuckled. <laughs> so now Helmer's plant lays out the situation for our party. They need airtight evidence that the Durandal didn't destroy the Oglinde before any reinforcements can show up. After a lot of talk about encryption and database security... Yes, this actually happens. Xion realizes that they have something unalterable. Cosmos, a AAA class encrypted government secret. 
These motherfuckers don't have read replicas in like 2200 or whatever. Fuck off. Yeah. Also, the fact that the Kukai Foundation's flagship, the Durandal, which is some state of the art shit, doesn't have special encryption. They just have standard dupable encryption. Why? So you know why that is, right? I don't. It's because Mary and Shelley are supposed to be the living fucking firewall. Oh, Okay. The soldier tosses she on the master key and says, we'll just say we were careless. Knock me out and make it look real. Uh, There's a good comedy beat where the camera pans around the room. It just like (laughs) here's like Sheon, who is clearly a wimp, Alan, and then a bunch of kids. And Ziggy's like, well, I guess you're right. You got a point there. And then Ziggy just fucking decks her in the face and then knocks out the guards by punching them in the gut. (gasps) Ziggy lays out every single guard in the room and walks us out of here to fight the two who are outside. That's so funny to me. Why couldn't you tell them you murder those dudes because they are on the (laughs) other side of the door? I was actually going to point this out because, yes, since they do not change the standard human death animation, Every single guard you encounter making your way around the Durandal explodes into a shower of yes. gore. Just explodes with blood. It's especially horrific for me because I just turboed through Cathedral Ship again in 20 minutes because I didn't want Junior to like be unskilled. So at this point, uh, Junior has like is at one HP on purpose with the Gambler Soul and Golden Dice and just like does like 700 damage to everyone in the encounter <laughs> with the uh, coin move that is on a high speed. Yes. And then they all explode simultaneously into a cloud of blood. And that's how you <laughs> deal with guys that are supposed to be on your side. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, quickly, two things from from this cutscene. Uh, that were hilarious to me. One is Shion saying, I'm sick and tired of protocol. Like she hasn't been blatantly disregarding protocol for the entire game. You told your boss to fuck off. <laughs> and then the second is Junior uh, giving uh, Lapis Roman a thumbs up or specifically giving <laughs> yes. the unconscious frame of Lapis Roman a thumbs up and going, thanks, you're pretty cool. Like, come on. It's so good to me. Oh. That is the most junior thing. It's incredible. Um, and at this point, the Durandal is now a dungeon. We need to get our gear back and make our way to Cosmos. The equipment is a room away. This is not Chrono Trigger. You are not unequipped for very long. Um, we make our way to the Elsa where we stop this week before we start the Encephalon dive into Cosmos. Because what we didn't quite say is that Since Cosmos is encrypted, they can't just pull the data out. They have to dive into her memories and relive it with the connection gear recording the whole time. Hey, they spent a lot of money on the Woglinde. They got to get their use out of that dungeon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Really briefly, during this Durandal as dungeon sequence, uh, if you haven't been grinding, you should fight all of these enemies because they give you a lot of money and a lot of points. Also, we are underselling it a little. There's some fun beats around this very bland dungeonification. Like if you take the tram to different sectors that are not where the Elsa is parked, some of the guards will not recognize you as the prisoners because why would they? They're just like, 
Uh, we're going to need you to not go this way. Yeah. Some of them will attack you if you talk to them, and some of them won't. They'll just be like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Also, they didn't seize the casino. They just let everyone continue to gamble inside the casino. <laughs> the one guy's like, in times of stress, it's when you need to relieve your stress the most. Yeah. Let's do party chat. Did we do anything interesting with our party besides me, who's like fully kitted out? This is the point where I broke the thing open. And now everyone's moves are sped up to the max. Yeah, I also utilized all of my points to get everyone's speed and weight uh, maxed out so that we can rush through these battles. But no, I'm I'm still just kind of like I'm still just vibing. You know, I w only had enough money to afford like half the eggs and half the equipment upgrades I needed. And I'm just going to I'm just going to roll like that. It's fun for me. I like it spend a little time in the casino to get those two accessories because um all the enemies in the cathedral ship dropped hemlock which sets your dude's hp to one uh mm. and then there's an item that increases damage based on how much uh, health you're missing then there's like the brave soul which is also a casino reward which gives you 50 percent attack boost Damn. and you combine that with like a physical attack aoe like junior coin trick and you just do a gajillion damage to everybody and win every encounter in one button <laughs> okay but i don't want to win every encounter in one button is the thing i want to win all of the encounters with mooks in one button as long as possible i'm kind of with chris on that one like i want to fight an enemy and see what's up with them but i then don't want to fight them normally 30 more times yeah i understand that but i feel it just personally i don't feel like this is not a value judgment this is just how it makes me feel inside me it makes me feel like i'm not engaging with the game i hate being overpowered in games so much even for mooks why don't you think about it like this you're overpowered because you are engaging with the game in the most maximal way possible which is <laughs> lining up all of the different pieces they give you for the best outcome because that's yeah. what crunchy games are about Ryan, I have good news for you. Xenosaga Episode 2 will make you engage with every single encounter. <laughs> uh, and it's so slow. Yeah, I know. I know Xenosaga Episode 2 is going to make me eat my words. But like, you know, this is Final Fantasy 14, where combat with mooks is less than nothing. I still, whenever I get like three levels over leveled, will switch to a new class so that I don't get more than three levels over leveled because it just it, for whatever reason, makes me feel hollow inside. Nothing was more blessed to me in Final Fantasy 14 than when I had a job skip and nothing attacked me ever in the open world until like near the end of uh, Heaven's Word. Yeah, I wish I could be you. I truly do. Do we have any closing thoughts on this section? I remembered this dragging on longer, which is why I didn't tack the Durandal onto this. I should have put the dungeon in here. Mm -hmm. There's not really much to the Durandal, but yeah, I probably should have merged the Encephalon dive with this. I forgot this did not go on. The trial was longer in my head. Mm, maybe. And it's... that's because I forgot so much of it starts intercutting with the dungeon. Right. OK, I honestly appreciated the, the brief episode just for prep purposes. But um, excuse me, the one the one thing that I wanted to point out about this stretch that I do like that we didn't talk about yet is how this episode is showing Utic able to install 
right-wing fanaticism secretly by exploiting the latent prejudices and petty ambitions that are already extant in the powered structures and society of the Xenosaga world. So it's not like it comes out of nowhere. The game does show everywhere that like everyone still hates Realians, everyone still is like looking side-eyed at Second Milsha, uh, and so Utic really didn't have that much ground they had to cover. It interestingly highlights a fundamental flaw in American-style government where there are a million subcommittees in that by having, like, one person on each subcommittee, you effectively have an enormous amount of sway over everything. Right, right. Without ever having a majority. Mm-hmm. Because all you have to do is tilt everywhere on the base and the whole structure leans, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, funnily enough, the the senator scenes where it's like the rotating screens of people on faces, uh, visual cue that they also do in Xenogears. In Xenogears, Deus is this very, very ultra-powerful, shadowy council that is manipulating things behind the scenes, but also they are completely blind to the thing that will eventually undo them. Uh, And so that parallel is the closest parallel besides just Takahashi likes to repeat visual motifs. I feel like, you know, because, you know, this shadow council will eventually get owned, the Deus reference, the Deus visual reference started to make a little more sense to me. Also, it's an extremely cool scene. Yes. Um, I know that this is a prelude of much larger things to come, but it still it, it, it felt monumental in the moment that it was happening. Oh, yeah. Very invested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Uh, this the story of this game rules. <laughs> this is probably the peak of this first game. Oh, that's very depressing because I have like four more episodes of this podcast to record. <laughs> uh, I hope you like dungeons that are so repetitive they literally combine two of them on the ds i sure will because i will just press the tab key let's do commercials all right fletcher you're first because there's no guest it's me i'm here and i have a website at hellscaper.com where you can find any projects that i touch as well as some writing you can listen to my music at soundcloud.com slash catastrophizer or uh, bandcamp.com slash stormking. You can listen to Ryan and I's podcast, Lightning Strikes Thrice Extreme, by visiting our Patreon at tentacle.pro and kicking in as little as a buck a month. It is this podcast, but about Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO. And that is all until next time when we'll be talking about the Durandal as a dungeon and the Encephalon dive. Good night. Bye-bye. Peace out, fuckers. Like I said up top, thanks for being a patron. Your continued patronage helps making these shows not be a financial burden without having to put ads in them. Since you're already a patron, you can help us out by reviewing your favorite shows on the podcatcher of your choice, telling a friend about our podcasts, or sharing an episode on social media. In case you didn't know, we have lots of podcasts. We have Being Jim Davis, a daily chronological Garfield comic strip recap podcast. Lightning Strikes Thrice, a JRPG Game Club podcast, 
Magmire Sucks, a show where we stack rank Pokemon based on how interesting their lore is. And last but not least, Boku No Stop, a podcast about anime and low-effort jokes. Thanks for being a loyal listener. We'll see you next time.